I am stoked to have you here with me this week because I wasn't sure who I'd ever see again after last week and the epic party that I had for the 100th episode. I figured you all might still be nursing your everything's relative hangover. All that cake. Truthfully, something I don't talk about much publicly on the podcast. Maybe I've posted it in Instagram, maybe once or twice, but I actually have stopped drinking since my DNA discovery. I mean, not since my DNA discovery, that wasn't the moment, but it is a choice I've made during the past four years since I started this podcast. Oh, I can be really specific. I have an app that's keeping track. 631 days ago, I stopped drinking alcohol. In all honesty, I've had sips of other people's drinks a few times, but I've never had a whole drink, a whole drink. I've never had a whole glass. Um, I definitely don't identify as sober. I don't work a program around it, but I do say I'm not drinking right now. And when people ask me why, I say it's made my life so much better. So when I do make jokes about hangovers or partying hard, it's just jokes for me. Anyway, I think I could probably make a whole episode about this, but I haven't even told you what this podcast is. It's really about for new listeners. I'm sorry. I went on a digression, clearly. Okay, (laughs) I need to focus up. You know what I need? I need my magic mind productivity shot. Have you guys heard about these? They are these little cute matcha shots and you just take one each morning, like a little drink, and it helps me with focus without making me all jittery the way I get with coffee. I just started taking them and you guys, honestly, I have to say so far, so good. I'm getting things done and I feel good doing it. Perhaps it's obvious by the nature of today's recording that I did not take one this morning. Uh, I'm all over the place right now. Lesson learned. If you want to try Magic Mind, guys, use my discount code. Go to magicmind.com forward slash Eve. That's Eve, E-V-E. You go, I wish I could tell you all right now how many times I have to spell my name for people at restaurant reservations and Starbucks. Go to magicmind.com forward slash Eve and then use my discount code RELATIVE20. One word, RELATIVE and then the numbers two, zero. And you'll get 20% off a one-time purchase or 56% off a subscription. The difference in my days is significant, friends. I suggest you try it out. Go to magicmind.com forward slash Eve and your discount code relative 20. And I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes if you didn't catch all that. Now, where was I? Today, this podcast is Everything's Relative Podcast. I am Eve Sturgis, your host. I'm here to talk with other people about how DNA test results have turned their worlds totally upside down by revealing family secrets. We call these moments non-parental events. We call people late discovery adoptees. We meet people who are donor-conceived persons. We all try to unpack, me and the guests, uh, this existential journey that we call identity. And the goal of the podcast is to help others going through this kind of thing to feel less alone, to find community and resources they might need, you know, unpack social constructs, stuff like that. Today is episode 101. 
I appreciate everyone's patience as I've become obsessed with counting my podcast episodes. Anyway, I'm talking with Amy Jo. When I met her, she was so fresh in her discovery. And I don't think, like, I'm not sure I realized how fresh it was. Or like looking back, I remember the moment I did realize how fresh and new she was into it. So glad she's hung in there with me. Um, She tells her story so well. And it's such a perfect example of one of the reasons of how and why a DNA discovery can be so destabilizing. And it's perfect because the day we recorded this episode, it was her one year anniversary of her non-paternal event. I'll let her tell you all about it. And hey, heads up, this podcast often has trigger warnings. Uh, I don't want to assume that you're thinking that way all the time. I mean, I could assume that you just know that this podcast could have trigger warnings. Today's episode might have some things that are hard to hear. So be careful with yourself. Thanks. This is Everything's Relative. I'm Eve Sturgis. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So let me get this straight. Is today really your one year anniversary? I was doing a timeline for the last couple of days trying to figure out what I wanted to say. And yes, today is exactly the day the girls called me. Wow. Is that not weird? Yeah, it just feels very synchronistic. That's the word I was going to say. Yeah, that you can, yeah, you can tell me with this exact container of like one, this one year reflection where you're at. Yeah, I trying to do, I was probably overthinking it. I was doing the whole timeline of how this all came about. And I'm like, oh my God, it's the exact same day. Wild. Especially because this was not our original session time. I know. That makes it even more synchronistic. Yes, I learned that word since I've become, since I've entered this world as synchronicity. Or insanity. I don't care. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Cosmic. Wow. All right. Let's talk about your story. So tell me, tell me how you grew up where you grew up and what your relationship was like with your parents. Okay. That's a fun way to start. <laughs> um, before, before we get to the, before to, the get one, to one year ago. So we're, you know, giving um, it some context. Why does one year ago matter even? That's true. That's, I am the oldest of four girls. I grew up in Northern Colorado on a farm. Um, my parents have been married for almost 55 years. The story was they've been together since they were 15. They only ever dated each other. You know that whole scenario? I know it. I know it so well. Yes. But there is a break in there, Eve. Like, oh, there has, you know, there's always a break. Um, yeah, I, I, when I look back, my parents had me at 18 and Mark was 18, Jackie was 19. Um, 
within four years they had or six years they had all four of us so mm -hmm. my two youngest sisters are like 11 months and three weeks apart Woo! so they were my babies my mm -hmm. sisters were my babies I was their mother hen that was I love I love my sister to pieces but growing up that was my role I mm -hmm. had my three baby sisters they were like dolls um my parents my dad's a contractor how am I going to refer to him Mark is a contractor mom stayed home um we lived on acreage where my paternal grandparents had the farmhouse my paternal aunt they built their own house and my dad built us a house so there was three families living on about 300 acres and we raised horses and we raised cows and we they farmed hay and corn and that's how I grew up it was very small town Mead Colorado is very very tiny and it's it, you know the elementary I knew the same kids from kindergarten through high school I loved my mother and I loved my sisters, but I had a terrible relationship with Mark. Mm -hmm. My early memories were, he hated me. And I knew that from the time I was little. And to say he hated me, he hated me. I mean, I couldn't explain it any other way. He, the difference between how I was treated and definitely my next sister, Marcy, she, when she was born, I think he knew for sure she was his. And she looked like my great grandmother, Goldie on his side. And there was just a huge difference between how he treated me and how he treated them. And so I was very close to my mother, very protective of her. And I grew up not understanding why he hated me so bad. I always thought it's because he was a teenager. He was still in high school when they got married. He didn't want to be a young father. I, I never understood why. And how, how, I guess I just want to say in your defense, how would you have understood? Like, I don't know any child that would be treated differently and be no, no, even a word like, like as strong as like, he hated me. <laughs> like, and I knew why it was because like, no one follows it with that, you know, like this was, this must've been so confusing for any child. It was, it was, it was extremely confusing. And I was different. I looked different from the girls. Um, I look back now and I don't know that my mother treated us differently. I just knew I looked different. Mm -hmm. um, Can I say something? Sure. Because um, I've seen pictures. I've seen a few pictures of you, of your like childhood family pictures. Yes. And I just want to say that Amy does look different from her siblings, but not so strikingly so that I think, I mean, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, Amy, but like no one would look at your family and see this like extremely obvious difference no there wasn't you guys were there was like four girls and you were all of blonde or fair haired yes um complexion okay maybe in my mind because i didn't understand why they were there was such a dis mm -hmm. disparity how i was treated i just felt mm -hmm. I was the shortest i was fattest i was the ugliest that was his words to me mm. so when i say i didn't fit in that's how I saw myself. If you mm -hmm. were to look at the four of us, even now, I have a picture from my son's wedding of Mark in the middle and us girls with him before I knew all this. And no, we look like his four daughters. We look like four sisters. I think it was more how internally I felt. Yeah. Why I say it was so different. And the interesting thing was it was just an accepted part of our family dynamic was Amy and Mark didn't get along. 
it wasn't talked about. It wasn't explained. It wasn't tried to make anything better. Mark and Jackie's relationship, they've never outgrown two 15-year-old kids fighting. They never matured past that. Their entire marriage was about every 18 months to two years. They're going to get a divorce. Mark is an alcoholic. Mark is cheating. Jackie's a raging lunatic. I mean, these were the, the scenario that we grew up with. Wow. Looking back now, I understand a lot of how the dynamic evolved. I think from the very beginning, Mark questioned if I was ever his. And he told me that. He said, I've asked your mom every year. And every year she has lied to me. She goes, I knew you weren't mine when you were born. Okay. Well, why did you, why did, there was paternity tests by the time I had, I don't know, 20. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't want to hurt you. And I'm like, oh, okay. You want to do all the other things that you did, but you didn't want to actually find out if I was yours or not. That's got to be so, um, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth. That seems, that just sounds baffling or is baffling to me and hurt and hurtful. And I think that this is something we talked about in the writing group and I've talked about a lot. My DNA discovery, it was a shock for sure in learning about the new bio family, but I have yet to process the abuse and the anger and the things that happened from Mark. And I hate focusing on it because he mm -hmm. really is consequential in my life now, but it was such a big part of growing up, his constant abuse and not understanding what was so intrinsically wrong with me that my pr other primary parent didn't like me. I, I really didn't understand it. So that was my childhood until I went to college mm -hmm. and, never went, and never moved back and never lived with them again and stayed distant from him. Did your sisters ever, ever, um, talk to you i mean you said nobody talked about it but did your sisters ever ever mention it to you it, out of the earshot of adults was there ever any discussion about you being treated differently not until we were not until we were adults and i've gone back and talked about it and they just said well you just didn't like dad mm -hmm. you and dad just never you always fought if you were in the same room you were angry and he was angry i mean from a kid's perspective yeah we just didn't get along mm-hmm you clashed and especially since you're the oldest so from the, for them that's how it had always been yes right like they grew they grew in they were born into this dynamic yes they were and uh, on, on the inverse of that you could ask my three younger sisters who had their own issues with my mother and family dynamics they were focused on their own lives and not why amy and mark just don't get along it was just part of who we were Mm -hmm. I'm looking back and I'm thinking, you know, if I had known, if someone had told me, even as a teenager or even in my 20s, and I could have said, oh, now I understand why. Now I can rationalize it. Now I can address it. But I, at the time, that thought never occurred to me. I had a lot of other scenarios why he didn't like me. But that one never, it honestly didn't really occurred to me even though I knew something was wrong that makes sense mm -hmm. it totally makes sense as someone who also has experienced this I can um I didn't experience the same scenario as you but um I do understand the 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 un, I say this a lot but like the unfathomability of it yeah <laughs> like why would that ever occur to you especially when the entire family narrative is together since high school 
Yeah. Like high school sweethearts is such a specific myth narrative. And so you're you were it was designed so that you wouldn't question anything. I wouldn't question. And Jackie, I have to say, um having four girls in a family of five women, sex was never spoken about. Relationships were not. The narrative was don't do it till you're married. That was my entire sex talk. Don't do it till you're married. There was no discussion and Jackie would get very anxious. And I think she carried so much shame around sex and around um, even when we all started dating, which I was nearly 19 before I had a boyfriend where the girls were much younger than I. Um, she it wasn't something we talked about. She definitely and Mark. Mark's entire narrative was you're I mean, you were a whore. I mean, he was calling me a whore from the time I was like 13 on. Wow. You. You, his daughter, Amy, not your mom, Jackie. No, but I, but I'm looking back now thinking, was that how he viewed both her and I? And whether he called her that privately, I don't know, but not in front of us. But yes, that was his narrative for me. And I think that's how he saw women. He could do anything he wanted, and he did. And he bragged about as a teenager how promiscuous he was, but Girls were never allowed in any way. Wow. I was the only one who I wanted to go to college so bad. Mm. Um, my parents were very anti-education, anti-college, get married. That was their message. But I had no sexual inter interactions until I was out of high school. Mm -hmm. You were like, get me out of here. Get me out. <laughs> Nothing's going to keep me here. I'm not, you know, I come from a family on both sides of teenage pregnancies and young marriages. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. So for him to have called me the whore, and if it wasn't whore, it was pig or slob. I mean, that those were, that was his narrative to me. And I think that's how he saw me. Hmm. Not as a person, but that was who I was, what I represented in the life that he had. Yeah, like he had to project this somewhere. Yes. And it couldn't, for some, for some reason, it couldn't be projected on to your mom. So you were the, the object of the of the of the ire Ooh. yes of a young alcoholic violent man um which is now that i've heard my mother's story um now i understand that's because of who he was so young that's where i came from okay so you go you you go uh you know you go on with your adulthood and then you have your own children I do. Boys, the opposite of the childhood you had. You have a whole bunch of boys. Three sons. Um, and then you decide to take a test. What was that about? So, well, what? Okay, so I took the test. Um, maybe I'll go back. The person in my life within that was my mother's mother, Grandma Esther. She was my person. My father's mother, Grandma Alberta, did not like me. I now understand why, but whatever. Grandma Esther was my person. She's my mom's mom. I was a second grandchild on, on that side and she adored me. I'm sorry, she loved me. And I, to this day, take care of her. I, every Friday I take her to hair. She's my person. I just, and I always thought I, I didn't look enough like my sisters, but I looked like her and her mother. Mm -hmm. Her parents immigrated from Russia in the early 1900s. They're Germans from Russia, Volga Germans. This is a thing. This is a thing. 
this is the thing. This is like a subculture, just so everybody knows. I had to learn this from Amy myself, that being German from Russia is its own subculture. It is. It was, and I could go into the whole history of learning. Catherine the Great at the times asked German families to immigrate to Russia. You'll get land, you will farm, you will teach, develop farming in Russia for the Russians. Anyways, her parents immigrated and Grandma Esther grew up telling me she never knew any relatives, not her grandparents, nobody. It was her mom and her dad, and her dad died when grandma was nine. So her mom had 11 kids, was widowed, and grandma grew up very poor on a farm in um, Fort Morgan, Colorado. It's kind of Eastern Colorado. I was always fascinated by this story. So even in college, I wrote about the Volga Germans. So when I took a test, I also had grandma take a test, and this was back 2014, 2015. And so I'd been on Ancestry for years, but it was always searching for grandma's ancestors. And I love genealogy and I love to read and I love stories and I've always been searching. That being said, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't understand Santa Morgans and the matches never made sense. And I couldn't access records from Russia. So I would just get on once in a while, try searching grandma's name or surname. I mean, her maiden name was spelled many different ways. I had no paperwork from her parents, um, but that was just kind of a hobby. In 2016 or 2017, my sister bought Mark and Jackie ancestry test for Christmas. So I was already on there. My mom took it and her test came up and we, Mark's just didn't come up. And then he took another test. And she's like, I don't know, I sent them in. I don't know what happened to the test. You're so reporting like, to them. You're saying to them like, oh, strange, dad, you're not showing up on here. Well, I'm like, where is your test? And mom's like, well, mine came in, but I don't know what happened to your dad's. And the first one was corrupted. And there was never any account. Mark's never was processed. Right. Two different tests. Huh. <laughs> I didn't really, looking back now, I'm like, are you serious, Jackie? But I didn't really say much about it. Um, I went on. I used mom's test and I kept finding people. Because that was your concern anyway, was your maternal line. You were yes. trying to research these German Russians. So her test was really the one that you were focused on. Yes, I was anyway, on her Anyway, right. So I got as far as I could without, there is a place in Nebraska called um, American Society of Germans from Russia. And I knew I would have to go access records. And so I kind of hit a wall with Grandma Esther. So during COVID, I decided I've taken mom's line, both her mom and dad, as far as I can. This is probably winter of 2021. I decided to do my dad's family tree. I decided to start researching that line, even though we didn't have a test, mm -hmm. even though for some reason the account just wasn't, didn't happen. I know enough now that I was not matching to one name and I was going back through grandparents, great-grandparents. I mean, you always at least have a fourth cousin. There was not a match. There was not in any, there was no match. <laughs> not a single centimorgan. <laughs> not a single fifth cousin that could have matched me, nobody. And I, and I knew that my, my, certificate father's family they were not big into genealogy or history maybe nobody had done the test um 
It was like my head was making excuses, but my gut knew something was wrong. Hmm. But while doing the while doing the lineage and going through the papers, um, I discovered that his grandfather was from Waterville, Maine, and that was Grandpa Jordan. I had spent two summers in college in Waterville, Maine, working at a Jewish summer camp, and I was so excited. I'm like, oh my God, I was there. So I remember I called mom and dad, and I said, listen, I found I was in Waterville, Maine. Um, I'm going to send Mark another test. I need to link because I can't find any any matches. Sent him a third test. That was what, December 2021? They never got back to me on that. Um, that next year, 2022, my son is getting married um, in August. And so kind of stopped really looking at any of this, getting ready for Zach and Lee's wedding. But my sister, Marcy, the second sister, her birthday is in May. And I was talking to her about, I don't even know why I brought this up, but I said, oh, hey, it's your 50th birthday. I'm going to send you an ancestry test. But your enthusiasm, it just never, I know. your enthusiasm never wavers. I can't link to Mark. I said, I can't link to anybody on the April test. Hey, for your 50th birthday, I'm giving you a present. She's like, I don't want to do that. And I said, please, will you please do it? She goes, okay. So I sent it to her. Didn't, she didn't say anything. In July, we're at my daughter-in-law's bridal shower. I'm like, did you spend, the, did you do the test? She goes, God, I mean, there's so much spit. I said, stop being a big baby. Take the damn test. We're probably not even sisters anyways. And I remember us joking. So then from May on or July on, um, we're getting ready for the wedding. And we're buying dresses. And I really had not thought about it again. The wedding was August 20th amazing wedding my sisters were there my parents were there the girls were so sweet they helped me get ready they helped the kids get ready the wedding was just amazing um and at the end of the night my youngest sister Dini, she lives about four hours away she's like let's all have breakfast on monday before i go back i'm like great that's awesome because the four of us are rarely in the same space i get a call Monday morning about eight. Deanie's like, well, we had to already go back to Grand Junction, but I'm on a conference call with Marcy and Gretchen. So all three of us are on a conference call with you. I was like, that's not normal. Who's sick? Who's hurt? Right. What's going on? What happened? <laughs> Poor little Deanie. Deanie said, okay, I got to tell you, because the other girls, their, their calls dropped. She said, Marcy's test results came back. You're our half-sister. Mark is not your dad. Mm. My, my initial reaction was I laughed. I was like, mm -hmm. I knew it. I knew he wasn't my dad. Now I just, I knew it. I've been telling you guys something's been wrong for years. So we get the other two girls back on the phone and they're like, Amy, we, Marcy says, came back about three weeks ago. But we weren't going to tell you before the wedding. They said, we've already researched everybody. We've been on Facebook. We know who your bio family is. Oh, wow. Your bio dad. We have his obituary. He died about 16 years ago. We think you have five siblings, but they all seem to have different moms. We don't know who all belongs to who, but we've already done all this research. And I said, okay, let me get on Ancestry and start looking at what you guys have looked at. And Marcy's like, well, I knew right away I matched to one of our first cousins, a fraternal cousin, Rainey. And I pulled up Rainy and it said, 
I have no DNA match to Rainey. So I went from kind of laughing that, oh my God, I knew he wasn't my dad too. Holy shit, I don't belong. And that's when I got off the phone. I'm like, girls, I got to get off the phone. Because then it kind of hit me. Okay. I was trying, I was telling this to both my parents in the different times I've had the conversation. It, it was a physical feeling, Eve, of my entire foundation shifting. It's almost like maybe what an earthquake feels like. Like your ground moves. That's the only way I can explain it. Is my my foundation shifted? I mean, Mark was not my father. My sisters or my half sisters, which they each get extremely angry if I use the term half sister. I am their big sister. They are my sisters. There are no halves. Yeah, good for them. Yeah, my three sisters have been a rock. It was the four of us. We went. We spent the next weekend at a sisters weekend of my youngest sisters. We talked, we, we drank and slept on her back porch. <laughs> we, um, my sisters have been amazing. My three baby sisters. I mean, and I call them babies because they're not. They're 40 and 15 years old. But they have been my babies, my whole. Um, after that, we were trying to figure out who this man was. He's a Virgil Beavers. He's a junior, so he went by Butch. That was in his obituary. <laughs> and he's from a tiny little town called Florence, Colorado. It's a southern Colorado that's like four hours away. Like, there is no way we couldn't figure out how on earth Jackie could have known him. Mm -hmm. She didn't go anywhere. She, she, I just couldn't. We thought maybe he was a friend of my uncle's, her brother. We could not figure out who he was there's no like obvious connection like oh when the people say like oh and it turns out he worked at the same company as my mother like it's nothing like that puts all the pieces together right no relation in any way um except for colorado at least you're in the same he was in state colorado. i'll give you that he was his whole family had for generations lived in florence colorado after all the deep diving we did we're like okay so somehow either he was here um, where I grew up or where my mom lives is like a suburb of Denver, um, where I still live in Arvada. It's not that far. My first fear was she had been assaulted because there had never mm. been a story ever have another boyfriend or another person in her life ever. So that was one of my fears. And I knew that the only way I had to ask her. So a couple weeks after the girls and I had been talking about this and researching, um, we were taking Graham to a doctor's appointment. And after the appointment, I'm like, mom, do you want to go to lunch? I hadn't really planned it. It just, it, it, it felt right. So we met, we got Graham back home and settled and we met at a little restaurant and we sat down and she's just talking and chatting. And, and I just said, um, who is uh, Virgil Beavers? And she goes, hmm, I don't know that name. And I said, um, do you know a butch? And Eve, her face was like, oh, yeah. Oh, I knew him. <laughs> oh, I, yes, um, a long time ago. And she actually, her eyes lit up and she just had this smile. She's like, oh, yeah, why? How do you know him? And I said, well, DNA has come back. Marcy's test has come back. And he's my father. And my girl, my sisters are my half-sisters. And you can almost see the gears going in her head. 
It wasn't that she was lying. I truly believe the story that she believes is, is, has been her story for so long that it's reality for her. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She I understand was, that. Yeah. I, I don't believe she was lying. I believe she was shocked. Mm -hmm. but that, she said, oh, oh, that could make sense. Like, <laughs> hey, who? When were you in Florence, Colorado? And who the hell is Butch Beavers? And she went on to tell me that she is like six months older than Mark. So she graduated high school. He was still a senior. She got a job downtown Denver. She was starting to be a little bit independent. Um, Mark was not happy about that. There was some physical abuse. And she finally said, enough. I'm, I, we're, I don't want to see you anymore. We're done after being together since they were 15. Um, and she said, and I was working and I met this nice lady I worked with, a young girl, and she was from Florence, and she asked if I could drive her home for a weekend. Her parents still live there, and there was going to be a party. She goes, Donna and I went to this party in Florence, Colorado. I walked in, and he was the cutest boy in the room. She said he, he just was beautiful, and he was sweet, and he was kind. She said, and he liked me. He picked me out of the party, and I think part of it was, I mean, Florence was very small town and he was from what I understand a big deal in a small town and she was the new girl who you know didn't grow up there and she said we went on some dates saw him for about six months longer that's way longer than I thought you were gonna say that's way longer than I her, her stories have changed with each sure. conversation like I'll ask her, like, uh, how did you communicate? Because that would have been a long distance call. And grandma and grandpa would have had a cow if you would have, you know, had a long distance. She goes, you know, I, I don't remember how we communicated. Did you write him letters? Mm -hmm. I don't I don't remember that part. There's a lot of I don't remember. I don't recall. Yes, it was 55 years ago almost. Um, she said, and this is the part that I I can't quite get the pieces. She said, yes, I was with him once. And then right away, I went back with your dad. And I said, so you left this sweet, young, kind, handsome boy to go back to an abusive, controlling kid who was still in high school? She goes, Amy, I can't explain it. Mark was mm -hmm. just the love of my life. And I needed to, I, I just went back to him. She goes, I had no idea I was pregnant. She said, I honestly can tell you, I had no idea I was pregnant when I got back with your dad. She said, I never talked to Virg again or Butch. She calls him Butch. And which could be true. He left to Vietnam a month and a half later. Yeah, that'll um, that'll hamper communication. Yeah. Plus, I don't know how she was making long distance phone calls. Right. Communicated <laughs> anyways, but he left to Vietnam in April. Mark and Jackie were married May 4th. So we're looking, I was conceived the beginning of March. She would have broke up with him or not seen him again, got back with Mark. As soon as she found out she was pregnant and she told her Mark she was pregnant and both grandparents found out they had known each other because the kids had known each other. Mm -hmm. They arranged a wedding within three weeks. Mark mm -hmm. was still in high school. I was going to say, that's like the end of his senior year. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. The stories I'm hearing back now was, he had always questioned if I was his and his mm -hmm. mother questioned it. Mm -hmm. But that's what you did in 1968. You're pregnant, you get married. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
his parents had gotten married. My my Mark's parents were married at 16 because they were pregnant and mm -hmm. still This is what you did. Right. From what my mother says, she truly believed I was Mark's. Um, she said, you were born and Mark and I, you were ours. And we went on with our life. She goes, I never really, I never questioned it again. She said, um, I said, well, what about, you knew that we never got along. You saw the relationship. She goes, well, you were very bullheaded and you were very argumentative. And she pretty much, her viewpoint was, if I just would have kept my mouth shut, if I wouldn't have argued with him, if I wouldn't have done the things I did as a kid, he wouldn't have been so abusive. Mm -hmm. Because I believe in her mind, if she did what she was told and if she behaved the way he wanted to, then they got along. So it was the same relationship in her mind. Mm -hmm. um, I said, well, you remember when I was 13 and I attempted suicide? Mm. Because once again, report cards were coming home and he either threatened to kick me out of the house or kill me if I was in trouble again, which I wasn't a bad kid. I just couldn't focus and sit still with <laughs> an ADD child, but um, I knew the report cards were coming in again. And I was so tired of his never ending, just verbal abuse and threats that I was like, I'm done. I remember the day. I remember sitting at the breakfast table after taking 52 and all and going to school. Wow. Just so I didn't have to face him again. I said, you remember that? She goes, well, you were just a teenager and you were just, you know, acting out. And it's like, oh, I said, there was never any therapy. There was never any talk. The only thing I was ever told was if anyone asks where you were, because I was in the hospital for about four days after that, um, you had the flu. So that's what's the story. I said, okay, um, what about when he tried to drown me when I was 15? He held me under in the lake. He was drunk and he was angry. And my uncle had to pull him off me. She goes, well, you know, he was drinking. And and again, I probably mouthed off or you probably said something to anger him. I mean, everything is about keeping him happy, keeping him, keeping Mark basically married to her. And she's just not connecting the dots. She's not. She's not seeing what one thing might have to do with the other. I don't, I because I think in her mind, for him rejecting me always meant he rejected her. Hmm. She saw her and I as a unit. She said, you, you were always with me. It was always you and I against the world. You were my best friend. You were my, you know, my helpmate, my confidant, all of those things. And I said, yeah. So I guess however Mark treated me, you didn't want him to treat you, or what was that? She goes, you know, I was busy raising four kids trying to survive. And I do believe, what is it, Renee Brown? Um, they're doing the best they can with the tools they have at the time. And I'm trying to reconcile that. I'm trying to remember what it's like to be young and pregnant and scared and all of those things. She was doing the best she could at the time. Right. Without any, without any resources like we have today. Yes. And with no research and Mark didn't have any resources. He was a young kid that was told his girlfriend's pregnant and he had to get married. I, he had no resources or tools either. 
I do give him that little bit. And he has, we've had one conversation since this came out. Um, the conversation was mostly about, do you think your mother's cheated on me all these years? I have no idea, Mark. I don't think she has. But he did say, um, I never understood why you and I didn't get along. And I said, well, I'm not going to talk about that right now. He said that. Wow. He just said, I just always knew that you didn't like me. And I said, okay. Hmm. There's another day we'll have that conversation. Wow. That must have been dizzying. It makes me, it makes me dizzy. It, it does make me dizzy. I still go back and look at all that and go, what the hell? What? And I'm still trying to get him and get that out of my head, remove it from my consciousness so I can go on to process other things. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think one of the hardest part of a DNA discovery or whatever we're calling it is you're also then reliving and rebringing up your childhood traumas that maybe you had thought you had put away or thought you had had there before or thought you had gotten rid of. And now you're reprocessing them at 50, 40, 50, 60 years old. Mm -hmm. You've described it that way to me before. And I was really moved by it the first time, really struck by it, by the truth of it and the like a new understanding of why these things can be so hard. And and hearing you say it again, it, I feel that way again. Like this isn't real. This isn't about the discovery pain, although that exists. This is about the sort of dam it unleashed. Yes. Of, of memories and childhood and confusion and relationships. And I think that's the hard, that's been the hardest part. Um, and whatever cracks were within our family unit of us four girls, mom and dad, it has definitely widened and yeah. nobody has the tools and we're all still reconciling with it. I mean, Mark and Jackie are still married, but they're still talking divorce. <laughs> what a, He just now has a tool to bludgeon her with. He has, Oof. Mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. I'm, and I'm what he uses against her. Right. You mean that figuratively? figuratively bludgeon her, <laughs> bludgeon her. I just want to like clarify because we're talking about lots of different kinds of abuse in this episode. So when you say he has the tools to bludgeon her with, you mean that he has the wep he has the weapons to to hold the shame over her of yes. your, yeah, you're not being his. Yes, that, and, and he does it consistently. I don't have a lot, I mean, I have no communication with him. Mm -hmm. Last October, he physically assaulted me again and I said, you and I will not, I mm -hmm. will not be in the same space. If I have to be, it will never be alone with you again. Um, I talked to Jackie here and there because I was never, I was never able to be angry or, or mean to her the way my sisters could when they would fight with her. And so I've told her until I can talk to you without being mean, I can't talk to you because the things I want to say are so incredibly angry and mean. So I keep it pretty minimum because I'm just not ready to say the things I want to say. But on the good side of all of this, I have reached out to my five siblings. I have made connections with Butch's kids. Um, I met with one of the sisters a couple weeks ago. That's right. I, I forgot I you said you were doing that. I did. And guess what? We look alike, Eve. That's so special for you. Isn't that funny? Yeah. 
we were sitting at a lunch. She was with her kids. So we didn't have a long meeting because she was just mm -hmm. coming to Colorado. And I'm just staring at her. I'm like, we have the same eyes. We have the same eyebrows. This whole part of our face, we uh -huh. look the same. Wow. I, I've learned quite a bit about his family. He, he had five kids, three marriages. So I have, um, from him, I have three sisters and two brothers. And I never had brothers. I wanted a brother so bad. Yeah, that's so different from growing up with us all sisters. Yeah, all sisters. I, the two brothers, the one in the middle was not raised with him. So the first, he had two kids when he came back from Vietnam, his first marriage, Mary and Verge. Mary, I've spoken to quite a bit. She sends me pictures. She loves to garden. She loves cats. We go back and forth. That's a lot like you. Yeah. She's like, when I first called her or when she first talked to me, she said, I looked on your Facebook page and I saw plants and cats and I knew we would be friends. Oh, how nice. She was so sweet. Her brother, Birch, knows about me for whatever reason is not ready to connect, which is okay. It's his. Um, the third sister, Yvette, from his second marriage, um, her, that's who I met. She's delightful and funny and has young kids. Her younger sister, Bobby, still lives in Florence, and I've just not connected with her yet. Um, when I did talk to Mary the first time, she said, you know, first of all, we kind of expected that there may be more of you out there. Dad really loved the ladies, and the ladies really loved Dad. <laughs> You've seen pictures of him now. Is he the cutest boy in the room? He was the cutest boy. And he looked, I see a lot of, especially one of my twins in his face. He is charismatic. He was handsome. He was funny. She said he loved being a dad. He was a very good dad. He didn't, staying married was a difficult thing for him. She said, I think if dad would have known about you, he would have been in your life. He loved his kids. He was loyal to his kids. He always had us when he was supposed to. Um, she goes, I don't think dad probably knew about you. And from what Jackie has said, she said, I, I never talked to him again. I never saw him again. She swears he didn't know about me. I'm pretty convinced that he had no idea hmm. that I existed. Um, she has told me many stories about him. I've met with another second cousin who brought me pictures and told me stories and um she said he was just a fun uncle he was great um he loved dogs he raised animals but he died at 59 he was a lifelong alcoholic he did mm. die of copd mm. um and from what i understand his father died of copd so that's the one thing i need my boys to understand right um my one twin has asthma, but so did my mom and so did Rob's dad. So just to know that that lung disease could be out there. Right. Uh, the one thing Jackie, I said to her in the beginning, she's like, I don't understand why you need to know this. What is the big deal? It's just a name on a piece of paper. And I said, oh. okay, well, what about his medical history? Well, I don't know what about it. And I said, well, I don't know. I don't know what about him. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. You know? Mark had colon cancer a couple of years ago. You wanted us all to get colonoscopies. Guess what? I don't have that risk now. 
when I went through menopause, I didn't do any of the um, HRT because Mark's one sister died of ovarian breast cancer in her 50s and his other sister had breast cancer. I don't have that from what I understand. I don't have any of that medical history. Is it just medical history alone? Not only who I look like, I, I once I got on ancestry and once I started researching him and seeing his mother and his grandparents, I'm like, that's who I look like. I don't look like Grandma Esther's. I don't look like that little German lady. I look like Butch and his family. And my boys look like him. How do you not understand how important that is? I think the shame that she has carried around for all these years and the fear of being found out or of it or ever Mark even knowing she had ever even seen another boy ever keeps her from even accessing those details. Yeah. I, I, uh, of course I don't know, but like, yeah, I understand, I understand that belief. Like I feel strongly about the way our minds power to protect ourselves by I, just blocking out, blocking out, not, not necessarily the experience, although that can happen too, but just blocking out the seriousness of this. It just completely disrupts her, her image of, um, I call them is my my parents as grandparents because my twins were the first grandkids were the Disneyland grandparents. Grammy and Pa are the world. They're the funnest. They they have all the toys. They have they still live on a farm. They have the horses. Everything. Um. I think it also breaks apart her her building this fantasy, right? Basically. And that's extremely hard for her to know what to do about. And it's been hard for my kids to understand. What do you, mm -hmm. so Grammy Empire, not this perfect fantasy, this perfect Disneyland grandparents? I said, they're still just people and your Grammy loves you forever, but no. Mm -hmm. And I've never really talked to my boys about Mark in my relationship with them. Because mm. he, he was a good grandfather to them. But my twins are in their 30s and Zachary's married and they're now understanding so much more of the family dynamic. I think they're starting to understand some of the things I passed on to them. That's my biggest regret. Um, my panic attacks, my anxiety, my depression. Some of the behaviors I picked up from both Mark and Jackie. I normalized estrangement with my youngest son because it felt normal to be estranged from your own child. I don't, I can't explain it. I passed on some very dysfunctional relationship dynamics that I just feel sick about, but I had no idea what was happening or I don't know how to explain this. My youngest will say, why didn't you get help? And I'm like, well, I did try to get help. I didn't know what I was getting help for. I didn't understand why I got so angry. I didn't understand why I was having panic attacks. And I was the only one in my family, but I'm learning that there's a genetic, you know, Butch had um. His mom had them. Several of the cousins have talked about having them. The sisters have them. Wow. How strange for you. And and eye-opening and, you know, connection, all those things. But it is very. I don't know. To feel so, yeah, or to feel so isolated with a, with a 
an experience or so isolated with a, a trait? Well, and to pass it on to my three boys and know that, I, I mean, would I have gotten help? Would anything have been different? If I had known which was my dad, if what would have been different? I don't know. I don't know. At least I would understand that there was nothing so wrong with me or why I was so different. I think just having that understanding. And then I would have probably been a much different parent. I wouldn't have picked the relationship I did. I wouldn't have made the choices in life that I did. But I had no idea. I always knew something was wrong. Always. And I've heard that on every podcast. Everybody has said it. I always knew something was different. Something was wrong. Something didn't fit. But the brain doesn't really go to what that is. We don't mm -hmm. understand it. No, and the only common denominator is you. So there's nothing left to look at, right? Except think that I'm, you know, I must be the problem. Exactly. Right. There's something so wrong, so damaged, so terrible about me that I created this. I caused this. Hmm. I think when you think that from the time you're a small child, that that narrative is very difficult to, to process and get rid of. I'm in therapy now, but it's it's really hard to find somebody that understands even anything we're talking about, MP, discovery, or even the trauma of it. It's hard to get Yeah, it's very complex. You come with a lot of lot of moving pieces. And now I'm I'm looking at okay, like Rob, my husband keeps saying, Well, what is your goal? Because now, I mean, he's heard the whole story. He looks at me like we're insane. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I think in the next year is to meet all five of the siblings. Mm -hmm. Whether there's a lasting relationship or not, I want to meet and know all five siblings. And I want to figure out how to how to process and repair the damage that I've done to, to my sons and the relationship with mm -hmm. my sons and who they are as people. And who future little people may be. No pressure. No pressure. Oh. <laughs> Don't. I think those are um, admirable goals to well, connect, connect with your, to connect with, you know, like connect, connect with blood. Right. And, and yeah. break some cycles. That's, that's mm -hmm. the biggest thing I, between talking to all three of my younger sisters and their kids and family gatherings now and Christmases and weddings coming up is how do we break the family cycle? Mm -hmm. How do we create a healthy gathering? First of all, we're not everyone is drinking. I'm the one that doesn't drink, but Mark is a lifelong alcoholic and all three of my sisters have issues with alcohol and their kids have looked at all of us and said, uh, we don't want Christmas where everybody drinks until they're, there's chaos. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And I'm starting to, I don't know how to put this. Um, I used to feel very responsible for my mother and whether or not they were going to get divorced and, oh my God, what's going to happen. And I finally have said, I don't care. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry you're in your seventies and you're mm -hmm. still fighting like you were 15. And I'm sorry that really this DNA discovery really is not the issue you two have had all these years. Mm -hmm. 
and I'm stepping out of it. This your chaos is not mine. Yeah, your your chaos is not mine. No, I'm sorry you're hurting. I'm sorry Mark is being mean. I'm sorry you don't know what's going to happen, but I didn't create this, and this is not my fault. Mm -hmm. It wasn't my fault when I was little and didn't understand why he was so angry. It's not my fault now. So you should have created a space where we could have processed this, and who knows, maybe him and I would have had a good relationship with the truth. I don't know but it's not my fault. Right. Yeah. If the, the, some stories you're and like yours, um, I get really overwhelmed by the, what the sort of what ifs and the, I don't know, you know, the, all the things you don't know what could have been. Um, but the most important thing is that it's not your fault. Wasn't your fault. Isn't your fault. Isn't my fault. And even, even what is happening with family fractures or relationships or taking sides. Um, I can see my boys are very up. They don't really want to hear about this. And I think they just, they just want everything to go back to this fantasy family we have. Yeah. And it's, it's can't and it's not. And it's, so it's to find out from here, how do I make things healthy? and normal mm -hmm. which I, I don't know how do you do that i don't have the i don't have the answer to that but it just strikes me as interesting that they want things to go back the idea that people or your sons want things to go back to the way they were but that wasn't the truth either no right like so that was the fantasy so by you introducing truth and honesty and talking about all these uncomfortable things. Yeah, that's a really uncomfortable transition for everybody. It is, and it's really hard. And sometimes it's really painful and it really sucks. But I think it's the one thing is you just tell the truth. Mm -hmm. I, I, you tell the truth. I'm sorry, it's going to be awful. I'm sorry, it's going to be hurtful. But it's the secrets that are causing the damage. It's not the fact that Jackie had a moment of independence and a cute boy liked her and I was created. That's not the problem. That should be, that should, that should be wonderful. It's that it's been a secret all these years. And I think Jackie actually has kept it a secret from herself. Right. And for her to acknowledge it is really hard because she thinks she won't do therapy. She won't. And you, and you know, and I know it, but it's, I feel as we're saying out loud, like there's, there's a complexity of generational trauma there that goes back beyond the moment that Jackie met it, met this cute boy because she'd been with this, this other person who already was a controlling abusive person, man, young man. Right. So who knows what he was coming from? He's coming from something. She's coming from something. So it's not, it's not, it, there were so many times through multiple generations when choices were made that affected future generations and put you where you are now. Yes. I mean, it just, um, it's just so layered. It is layered. It's so layered. And I think, um, I mean, and it comes down to, I think again, coming down to 
the rights of women. Oh, (laughs) so I wanted to go to college and I enrolled myself. I moved myself into school. I mean, granted, it was an hour away in northern Colorado, but um, I became a sociology women's studies major. And that was so apart from anything my parents believed in. That is so radical. (laughs) So radical. And I remember coming home and my naive, so excited. I loved mm-hmm. women's studies so much and explaining my women's studies class. And the first thing Mark said to me is, don't you dare teach that crap to your sisters. Mm-hmm. And I just knew, I think Eve, from a time I was little, that there was an injustice happening. I yeah. Couldn't, I couldn't name it. I couldn't explain it because I did not get my viewpoint or my thought process mm-hmm. from anyone in my family or within even my small farm town community. But I've known it since I was young. Maybe that was how Mark and I conflicted because it was like, you don't need to treat me that way. You don't need to treat my mom that way. You don't need to call names. It's not okay what you're doing. We're treating us girls like we were either, um, what is it, Madonna or whore syndrome. Right. You yeah. yeah. Just could only be one or the other archetype. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I was feminist. And that's why the universe gave me three sons. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so much healing and so much um, has to happen. It seems like it's too much for one person because it's so much more complex than just the one your the the one person the NPE's experience. Well, I can tell you that one sister's in therapy and is working on it. The other two, at least the four of us, talk about it quite often mm-hmm, and talk mm-hmm. to each other. And talk to our kids as much as we can. Um, I think that's all you can do is you can, right. you can identify it. You can name it. You can bring it out in the open. You can acknowledge it. You can apologize. I have apologized to each one of my boys over and over. I'm sorry. I I was young. I was naive. I was using the tools I had. And I am so sorry. Mm-hmm. And that's all I can do. That's a lot more than a lot of people get from their parents ever. So, so hats off to you, Amy. Um, Seriously. I say that as an adult daughter and an adult mother. (laughs) That's a big, it's a big, um, those are big words, big words to say and to hear and to feel. Yeah. So before, so before we wrap it up, do you have any advice for somebody that's new to this world? Oh, Lord, I thought about that. I could try and tell you to slow down and not deep dive and reach out because I reached out through Instagram, through Facebook. I was messaging. I was emailing. And thank goodness I had gentle people respond going, "Okay, give us a minute. We're going to respond to try and slow down to Mm -hmm, try. mm -hmm. It's very difficult to do because between social media and the internet, you want to know as much as humanly possible. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, it is really hard. Take a moment. And then from there, what I, I deep dive into every podcast I could find, every Facebook group, um, your writing group, honestly, was the most helpful thing I did. It helped me to separate out the different strands of what was happening. Um, process it in as many different places as you can hmm. I mean I, I don't I'm not sure what else 
That's great. <laughs> There's no expectations. No expectations here, but yeah, wow, that's such a um uh that's an interesting one I haven't heard. It's like process it in the different ways or different places that you can because there really are different avenues and different mediums now. Um and some might work better than others or work for different el elements better than others. It might work more to listen to a podcast for some parts of you and other parts of you might benefit more from from a different, you know, like from a writing group or yeah. um, in conversation or retreats. So I like that. I like that idea. Diversify. Diversify. Diversify your work. <laughs> and don't <laughs> take a writing class, even though you're not a writer, because it really does help you do. You're a great writer, Amy. Even you're... if it's just bullet points. Even if it's just bullet points. That's the thing. Words are words. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, this has been lovely. Your story is, um, it's, your story is big. You're like a little woman with a big story because it's, it's got big, it's got big elements and it has all these, these parts that I think a lot of people have experienced and they're a little bit hard to hear about families, about families and abuse and the things people are dealing with behind closed doors and what an NPE experience means beyond the black and white numbers on a paper. So I think it's really important that you're here. Thank you, honey. This has been fun. Thank you so much. I wish we could spend hours more. Thank you so much. I will talk to you soon. And um, thank you. I appreciate you very much. I appreciate you. You're uh, so, so cool that you're in my life. Bye. I'm so glad. So glad. All right. I'll see you later. Bye. Have a good night at work. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I really love Amy Jo. Um, I think, and I think, I think I won't reveal it on the podcast where it is, but she works at this really cool place and she gets to hear all types of music all the time. Um, oh, wait, speaking of music, did you hear about my 100 episodes, 100 songs playlist? So many people contributed. Um, it's about everybody's DNA discoveries. So look, it's on Spotify. I can share it with you. Send me a message. Oh my gosh. You know what I did not even talk about on this episode yet? How my Facebook account got hacked a few days ago. Part of me wants to say, it's been a nightmare. Ah. Um, but really, the only thing I'm extremely worried about or stressed over um, is the podcast page, <laughs> really, and the podcast Instagram page. So as of today, you can find me on Instagram at Everything's Relative Podcast. See what's happening over there. Um, you can send me messages, follow along. What else? Um, and you know what is so funny? By the time this episode is posted, it might all be resolved and my Facebook crisis will be a distant memory. What is it they say? Tragedy plus time equals comedy. Is my Facebook saga funny yet? I hope so. Anyway, I was saying, I love Amy Jo. I love her story. I'm so moved by the way, it represents all the other things a DNA discovery can unleash or untether or untangle for a person. 
And it struck me as really important when I learned about it a year ago or a little less than a year ago. And I'm so glad I finally got to have her on. Okay, um, you know the drill. Follow me on all the socials. Head over to my website, everythingsrelativepodcast.com for resources or to reach me. Of course, please subscribe to the podcast. Of course, review it. Please, please, please. Um, And come back next week because it ain't over until... mm, It's not over until I say it is. If, you know what that reminds me of? Just maybe only Sonoma County, California people will know this. But if you know what Clover dairy products, Clover milk billboards do these um, play on words like puns that are cow or clover or milk related. And there was one about a fat lady singing and I never got it and I'll never get it. Like I never understood it. But when I say it's not over, that is the first thing that comes to my mind. Okay. So that's really exciting for everybody. Uh, (laughs) If you don't live in Sonoma or Marin County in California, that's where I grew up. Okay. The podcast is not over. That's what I'm trying to say. Can you tell that I've, I'm either really tired or I've had a lot, a lot of caffeine or both? Because things are just a little all over the place right now. October. The point is, October is a, in October is when the podcast season will be coming to a close. I love you guys. I'll see you soon. Don't forget to register to vote. I'm Eve Sturgis. This is Everything's Relative. Bye-bye. Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis is produced by Eve Sturgis and Kaylin Egan and edited by Joy Rumor. Logo designed by Ivy McNally and music is used with permission from Goodbye the Band. Eve is a licensed psychotherapist, but her podcast episodes are not therapy sessions. I have to go to the bathroom and run away for two seconds and then we'll jump to, we'll get to uh, the, the sort of a, you know, adulthood up to taking the test. Did you, you like, you like, you edit everything. Whoa, 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 right? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, sorry. No, go potty. Wait, wait, go potty. wait. Say it again. I said, you don't linear do this, right? You edit all this. You don't. It's pretty linear, but I'll edit it like okay. a lot. A lot. Okay. Yeah, go potty. Can, yeah, like I'll, for example, I will edit out the part where we talk about me going to the bathroom. That's not going to be in here. People will I think, think it should be, I think it should be in there.